The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, back for our last few people still coming. And... um, So, so you know what's left, right? The categories. <laughs> so you can leave now if you'd like, or. <laughs> yeah. So, I thought we'd do a little thing on the difficult people. So, and that's and then we've kind of covered the basic categories that are given of the uh, people. And then the, and the, the practice of loving-kindness uh, builds after doing the difficult person in different ways. And um, it can, actually can get very elaborate. There's something like uh, for people who really do, uh, there are people who do a loving-kindness meditation as the only thing they do uh, all their waking hours on meditation retreats for months, sometimes on end. And, uh, and it's uh, the people who do it, generally they do it on retreat, they do it to develop what's called jhana, to develop very, very strong levels of concentration. And uh, it's quite phenomenal to have your concentration subject be this, this metta. And, uh, and then there's, uh, uh, it, gets, it can get very, comp- very, very complex, and you're given very clear instructions, but there's something like 514 different uh, steps after you've finished with the five categories, go on beyond that. And, so that kind of also keeps you going and connected and you do all these things and it builds, but you know, it takes a long time. <clears throat> so, um, so we're going to do a few minutes on a difficult, uh, difficult person and a few of the things we talked about might be helpful. One is that um, what you, how you open your heart to someone in meditation doesn't have to be the same way you do in daily life. So it's useful in meditation to have as much as, as as much of an unconditional positive regard, much metta as you can, and it's and if you but if you get concerned that this means what this means in daily life, you don't have to make that transition. You don't have to bring it with you into daily life. Um, so maybe it's easier just kind of just we're just talking about the meditation here. We're not generalizing. This means that I have to be this way all the time, but it has its usefulness in meditation, as we talked about earlier. The other is that you're under no obligation to do this. You don't have to have goodwill towards the difficult person, so don't feel like you have to like kind of you know, you know, knock down the fort to get in there and you know, to you know to, to do something it's, it's difficult to do for you. The other is that uh, it's uh, uh, no one has to know, <laughs> and especially the uh, difficult person never has to know that you're. They never, they, you don't have to never. You don't have to admit it to a difficult person. You have to call them up when you get home. By the way, you know, let, let me tell you what I just did. They don't have to know whatsoever. So because you're keeping it private, they don't know. It's also maybe a little easier to do it, and it's also maybe easier to do it if you realize it's really you're doing it for your own sake. Um, generally, if you have a difficult person, uh, your own heart is closed. You're contracted. Uh, maybe you're resentful. Maybe you're frustrated. It's, um, it's uh, the, the tension that's involved in having a difficult person in your life uh, is wearing, is tiring. And so part of the function here, at least for the purposes of these few minutes, 
is to release and relax any tension that you have in relationship to this person. And hopefully this kind of simple little meditation time is a safe place to lower, not exactly your guard, but lower your defenses, lower your resistance, lower, and just see, is there some way that you can open to this person uh, with uh, goodwill? And I like the word good, goodwill when we're talking about the difficult person because um, loving kindness might be too hard a bar for someone who's difficult, but goodwill might be okay. Um, you know, you don't love them, but you, have, you wish them well. And so you can come from that place of well-wishing. Yes? Does the person have to be alive? Uh, does the person have to be alive? Um, I think the important thing to do is to do the loving-kindness practice in whatever way is useful for you. So if it's useful for you to do it towards someone who's passed away, uh, please, by all means. The, in that book, The Path of Purification, it says don't do dead people. Um, and I think the reason for that is that it's given, I think, is that uh, it's, it'll be disturbing for you. But there's lots of people who do loving kindness for dead people and it's not disturbing. It's actually very helpful and releases something. So that, I like the principle if it's useful for you. And that's generally the whole principle of Buddhist practice in general. You do it in a way that's useful. If it's not useful, don't do it. Okay. So... Um, Close your eyes. And settle in. Take a few long, slow, deep breaths. There's a little bit of a, almost like a ritual to settle in. Come back to yourself. Feel yourself from the inside out. And let your breath return to normal. And take a few breaths just to tune in to the rhythm, your rhythm of breathing in and out. mind's eye, <clears throat> if you can visualize this, then great. Or if you mostly can think about it, that's fine. Imagine that there's a row of chairs in front of you. And into the room comes your benefactor. Sits down in the chair, one of the chairs opposite you. Maybe you're happy to see your benefactor. And in your happiness to see this person, you also can feel your friendly feeling about them, your goodwill, your kindness, your generosity of spirit. It's nice to be here with your benefactor. And then comes in a friend, sits down in another chair. 
And it's nice to be together with a benefactor and a friend. Somehow the specialness of it, you kind of relax, feel things are good and safe. Nice to be with these people. And you find maybe that in your joy or your delight, a flow of kindness or goodwill or friendliness to these people. And then into the room and sitting down in a chair is a neutral person. Someone you know, but you don't know well enough to really have a feeling for or against them. They might seem pleasant in a mild way, but you don't really know. And here's a chance maybe to get to know someone you don't know. and You're with your benefactor and friend and just feel welcoming of these people being there, this, this neutral person to be there, and your goodwill, some of it spreads out to the neutral person. It's a friendly time. And then think about some person who in your life who's a mildly difficult person almost as mildly as you can think of. Not a big deal, but it is a difficult person. And then imagine that this difficult person comes and also takes a seat in front of you with the other three. And first, just notice what happens to you when the difficult person's there as well. And maybe starting with a benefactor and sweeping your attention down the road to the difficult person, can you open your heart to all four? So you're not focusing on the benefit on the difficult person specifically, but all four of them sitting there. Can you find some feeling of friendliness, generosity of spirit? kindness, goodwill to these four people sitting here with you. attention to focus solely on the difficult person. Looking upon the person, the person's not talking, and just sitting quietly. And you can look at the person and consider, here's a person who was born, went through the challenges of childhood and adolescence, maybe young adulthood. 
who's known loss and death, extended people, family or relatives or friends, who's had to deal perhaps with successes and failures, health issues, joys. Here's a person that's difficult, but it's also a person. And then see if in the privacy of this room, meditation, can you open your heart to this person to wish them well. And you might repeat these words. May you be well. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be at ease. And then continue for a couple of minutes here, holding the image of your difficult person and exploring how in the safety of this meditation that you might sit here quietly and relax in a way that allows you to feel some basic human goodwill, friendliness to this person. You don't have to act on it, the person doesn't have to know. And if saying the phrases is helpful, repeat the phrases towards this person.
and then letting go of the difficult person. And if you still have the image of the person sitting here in the room in the chair in front of you, imagine the person bows to you and leaves. And you're left with your friends, benefactors. And then bring your attention inward to yourself. And see if you can bring an attitude of goodwill, friendliness, care to yourself. And maybe saying the phrases of loving kindness to yourself. May I be happy. May I be safe. May I be healthy. May I be at ease. And then you can take a couple of deep breaths, feel your body, and when you're ready, open your eyes. So um, the classic in practice is done with these different categories, self, benefactor, friend, neutral person, and difficult person, following the principle that you're supposed to start where it's easiest and then expand outward from there. If the self is difficult, you don't have to start with the self. You start where it's easiest, and then you kind of start doing, going out from there to what's a little bit less easy and so forth. But you start exploring, and it's an exploration. It's a, it's a, um, you know, it's it's almost as if it if it was easy, maybe you wouldn't have to do it. 
if it's difficult, then it gives you a chance to look at what makes it difficult. Where, where you're held, what are the hesitations, what's the issues, what comes up for you? And then over time, whether it's a meditation, outside meditation, you begin reflecting and working through some of the things that get in the way of having positive regard for people. These different people, these different categories. And uh, there's no hurry to do this. It takes, it takes its time. But at some point when uh, the loving kindness is flowing strongly to each of the categories, then the instructions is to, uh, is to dissolve what's called, it's called dissolving or the barriers. So dissol- dissolving the separation between these different categories, so you learn to have the same equal goodwill to everyone there. And uh, the image I like to hold for, uh, hold for this is that like a light bulb. If uh, I think we did this last time. If a light bulb is uh, all dirty with full of dust or something, uh, the light won't go through maybe. <clears throat> and, but if you take and start cleaning it, and first you clean one little piece of it, then light will shine out there like a lighthouse going out, but only there. But then if you clear it some more and more all the way around, eventually the light will glow and flow 360 degrees all around the bulb. So the same thing with uh, just dissolving the barriers. The idea is to have it, have it so that there's no barrier to the, the radiance of our goodwill, radiance of our love. So it's 360 degrees in the sense that there's no limitation to it, there's no barrier to it, there's no, nothing which is not included in it. Uh, and with all, with all this uh, loving-kindness stuff, I think uh, for me it's been very important to think of it. Uh, just, uh, mindfulness, I don't like to think of a difference between mindfulness on the cushion and mindfulness off the cushion. But with loving-kindness, I actually find it useful to think about them two distinct things. And loving kindness on the cushion is where I can cultivate the unconditional positive regard. Off the cushion, it requires wisdom, and uh, and so that you know you don't just go barreling ahead with open heart, but rather you go ahead with an open heart, but with a lot of wisdom. You kind of try to understand the situation and hopefully have the street smarts to know how to handle this. And that's a whole other thing to have that understanding the social skills and to understand what's going on to take care of yourself properly and others. Um, but as someone said, or some of you said, uh, having, using medit- experience of meditation as a foundation, as a reference point to know what's possible um, is a very, uh, very useful uh, support for understanding yourself, what's going on and the choices you make and how to be wise in your life. It's a great practice, the practice of loving-kindness. In our particular tradition of Vipassana, the Theravada Buddhism, uh, there's kind of an idea that uh, loving-kindness is the base form of these four Brahma-viharas. As we cultivate that and let it become strong, then we can use that. um, When loving-kindness meets someone suffering, then it turns into compassion. When the goodwill meets someone who's having success or happiness in their life, then we have sympathetic joy. And when the conditions are right for us to need equanimity, then it, can, it morphs into equanimity. But loving-kindness is kind of the base for it all. Um, so it seems very quick to go through two days of loving-kindness. Maybe one of these years we'll do a whole Dharma practice series on just loving-kindness itself. But... Um, 
I'd encourage you to practice this over the next month. Include it as your main meditation practice or as part of your meditation or add an extra session of meditation to your life. And um, then, um, um, because then next time we meet, we'll start with compassion. And uh, I think the more you do this practice of loving kindness, the more you'll kind of benefit from the compassion day that we do. So, any last words before we stop? Last questions? Anything so you feel complete enough? Yes. Earlier you said that practicing this can form kind of protection for the person or a shield. Can you explain that a little more? The, um, well, I think maybe it works in many different ways. But uh, it's harder for people to want to hurt you if they feel your goodwill, if you're radiating mm. happiness, mm. you're smiling, and you're there, right? Mm. That's one thing. But I think uh, more deeply that if there's a strong sense of well-being mm-hmm. that comes from loving-kindness, and that sense of well-being is a refuge, a support, um, then we're less vulnerable. We're less uh, likely to have the sore spots inside of us touched or, or uh, irritated by what goes on around us. So, you know, something comes our way, but we're, we're, the loving-kindness is kind of like a radiance. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a force field that kind of keeps things from really hitting us. Mm-hmm. But if you feel very vulnerable and weak and, and tired, and it's like things just yeah. come right in, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's kind of a... Maybe it sounds hokey to call it like a force field, but, but yeah. you know, it's mm-hmm. like... Great. Yes, Mary. So this wisdom you're talking about, does that, the wisdom, does it naturally arise or do I have to work at it or how do I know when I have this wisdom? How how does this wisdom come about? Yeah. All of the above. Which which are? (laughs) Some of it comes along naturally. Some of it comes because you reflect about it, you talk to friends, you study the situation, you investigate, you use your smarts to think about it. Um, wisdom comes many different ways, but, um, but some of them are quite active. Some of them just comes naturally over time. Um, there's a lot of wisdom that comes from making mistakes. How do you tell the difference between wisdom and naivete? Uh, I think... I don't know. Wisdom means that... The basic idea of wisdom in in the Buddhist definition of wisdom, uh, a person is wise if the person knows um, uh, what you can do to avoid causing harm to self or others, and you know what can be beneficial for self and others. So that's what wisdom is. Naivete is just not knowing. It's kind of like not really uh, getting the full picture, not really understanding what's uh, really going on there. Wisdom is built on understanding. So this is one of the functions of mindfulness practice, for example, is to have enough presence of mind to really see what's going on here. But uh, we need more than mindfulness, too, to be wise in the world. We have to have also some realistic sense of what the consequences might be. So it's not just, consequences means what's going to happen in the future. So uh, when a person's naive, then often they're not taking in the full picture 
They're not thinking about the consequences. Um, they haven't learned from their past failures. Something like that. I think also when people are, I think naive is, an, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know how the word naive, what, what it means in English exactly, but I think of, of uh, being naive as being a, a policy. It's kind of like an attitude. It's kind of like a, an idea. Everything is fine. Things are wonderful. And that's an attitude, an, an understanding we overlay on top of the situation. A person who is wise has learned not to overlay the situation with an attitude or over, overlay the situation with a, some kind of constructed idea of, in our mind of what, how it should be. <laughs> I think that... Um, <clears throat> I think of be, uh, naivete as being, uh, not just being innocence, but it's an idea that we overlay on top of the situation. Like the idea, everything's going to be okay, things, this is a nice, these are, this is a nice situation, these are nice people, and, and so there's, a, there's, all, there's an understanding that we apply to the situation. And if you're, if you're really mindful, you can see the mind creating that understanding and applying that Wisdom understands what's going on, understands the mind is making up a story about the situation and puts a question mark after that story. Is this really true? Okay. So, um, it would be very nice if there were maybe seven of you who would stay behind for ten minutes to do the basic cleaning we do, um, to vacuuming in the bathrooms and tidying up, partly because we have probably 40 teens coming here tomorrow. Uh, 40 teens for a teen retreat. And we would like the teens to come into a place that feels well-tended. <clears throat> so and do we have people who can stay 10 minutes? One, two, three, four, five, six. One more. One more. No, six, seven. Thank you. So a rich, no, Joe is the manager in training. So, so test him out. <laughs> and uh, you know, he's, so, so he does coordinate a little bit the different cleaning. So you're, and then uh, thank you for helping to do that. And may our exploration and discussion and practice of loving kindness today, may it be for the benefit of the people you see over this next week. May all of them uh, have a little bit lighter load, a little bit easier time. Uh, in the wake of what we've done here today. Thank you.